Well, thank you, Tim. And I had one son at the time who was rooting for the Vikings and the other one for the Broncos. So I was kind of in the middle. I was a moderator, I think. Uh, but uh, I remember the, the stands, that, you know, just vibrating whenever there's a really big play and stuff like that. So that was quite a, quite a good experience for us. At the time, we had a, uh, a friend who... Uh, who had another friend who was, a, who was the timekeeper for the Broncos. So we actually got up and saw where the timekeeping took place, and so we saw a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. So that was uh, a lot of fun. Anyway, it's good to be with you here today. Uh, I'm glad you have a little bit of a stage here. It makes me feel a little taller. Uh, not that that's a big problem. I, you know, my, I'm tall enough that my feet touch the ground, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we're in the season of Lent, and that's that... Uh, 40-day period of time, which brings us up to Good Friday and Easter. Now, they don't count Sundays. Sundays are like mini resurrections. So you celebrate what Christ has done. But during this period of time, the church thinks about the suffering of Christ, uh, that he willingly came to die for our sins. And for all of us who know that we are sinners in need of a, a gracious and holy God, it's Christ who made that way uh, possible for us. And the scripture passage we're going to look at this morning really uh, looks at uh, how Jesus is actively on the move to take care of, of his people and how he prepares for that. And I didn't give slides to the guys back there because I, I think it's going to, I have three subpoints, and I think it's going to be easy to follow, but it's the messenger, the messenger was John the Baptist. You're going to read about this in this passage. And then What's the message? Messenger, message, and then the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what John says is really a difference from the baptism that he can do with the baptism that Christ will bring. And it's giving this comforter. You know, the Bible talks about another comforter. Jesus was the first comforter. But when he leaves, he says, I'm going to leave you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And... When he is in our hearts and lives, then he puts our attention on, on Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, John the Baptist also does. And I think we'll see that in this passage this morning. So before I read that, let's uh, pray together. Our God and Father, as we bow in your presence, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit on what is read and proclaimed. Come, Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and our minds Help us to understand. We ask that you would break open your truth for us this morning. That you would open for us a realization of the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel of good news. Help us to catch a glimpse of this wondrous Savior this morning. Bless this word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the gospel is Mark chapter 1. And uh, here's a little test question. Uh, so the first three Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Does anyone happen to know what those three Gospels are called? They're called synoptic Gospels. Because they give a synopsis or a summary of the life of Christ. Or of his ministry, primarily. And, and then the Gospel of John really focuses on his divinity and spends a lot of time in the last week of Jesus' life. But uh, the Gospel of Mark is a very uh, 
actively moving gospel. And it talks about this Jesus Christ who came and, and the wondrous message of the good news. So let's uh, hear that together. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. Sure, that, uh, you know, that's something you could probably think about in your boutique. You know, camel's hair. I'm not sure if that would sell very well. But anyway, uh, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. And again, that's where we think about this 40-day period of Lent. Being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals. And angels attended him. May God add a blessing to this uh, portion of his word. I want you to connect the beginning of the Gospel of Mark with the beginning of the Bible itself, the book of Genesis. Because in Genesis, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now this passage says, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think what Mark is trying to say is just as significant as the creation of the whole world. So now, this is the beginning of a new creation. Christ has come. Christ is on the scene. And the beginning of Genesis tells us about the beginning of everything. But the Gospel of Mark says this is the beginning of of the great news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to Just see how significant that is. And how this, for example, may be a new beginning for you as well. Maybe you've been going through a time of spiritual deadness or dryness or you've been kind of wandering or you have doubts or discouragement and God by his spirit is directing us to this word this morning. And he has a reason for you being here today. And it can be a new beginning. A beginning of hearing God's gracious words to you as as a child of God. Mark wants us to remember that the world began with the creation, but the gospel begins with Jesus Christ himself. Now, you, you have to understand that Mark has a unique style. 
in the Gospels, he's the one that's always in a hurry. And so he moves uh, from miracle to miracle, action to action. Uh, he often uses the word immediately. So he's always in a hurry to tell you this, this story. And the story is leading up to what he says in the last chapter. That Jesus Christ is taken up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. He sits on the throne of heaven. This is the story about a king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. And he says, this, this is how it all began. But I want you to see, first of all, the messenger that God used. The messenger, the text tells us, was John the Baptist. And I want you to see that he is the fulfillment of the promises made in the Old Testament. In fact, Mark is telling us, I'm not sure if you noticed it, but he, he was quoting from Old Testament passages, from Isaiah, from Exodus, from the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. And Mark wants you to know that he's been reading the Bible. And he said God had made all of these promises in Isaiah and Malachi and was preparing the way for the Messiah who was to come. John the Baptist is a messenger who came by the promise of God. The quotation from Malachi was at least 500 years old for Mark. That's how, how old it was. And then Isaiah some 700 years before his time. And, and Exodus 1,200 years. You see, God is not in a hurry to fulfill his promises. But he does keep his word. And sometimes we're in a hurry for God to do his work in us. Sometimes we want it to move along a lot quicker and we want to grow in the faith faster and we want to see the church grow and we want to see the, the gospel being proclaimed. God is not in a hurry, but he will keep his word. And the messenger, John the Baptist, was prophesied years before he ever came on the scene. And Mark is summing up nothing less than the history of God's plan. But then we also read that as soon as the Messiah comes, where is he sent? He is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. No sooner does he hear this expression of the Father's love for him than he's sent out and he is tempted by Satan. That's because he didn't just come to play nice. He came to defeat the power of Satan. He came to defeat the power of evil and the power of death. And he came to reconcile the world to himself. And so he went right into the battleground. And before he comes, John the Baptist is in the wilderness. I want you to notice that's also significant. Why is he in the wilderness? Well, actually, the passages that he quotes from Exodus, God's people are in the wilderness. And in Malachi, they're in this place of spiritual wilderness. And the messenger goes into the wilderness, and Jesus eventually goes into the wilderness because that's where God's people are. And that's where the gospel comes to us even here today. Because there are many who are looking for a connection, looking for a sense of belonging. They maybe don't even know what they're looking for. But Mark is saying, Here, here's the beginning of the gospel. This is good news for you. 
that John the Baptist came into the wilderness. He, he went right where the people were at, and, and Jesus went into the wilderness. It's a call of John to repent. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, Isaiah had said. Malachi said something similar. And John is in the wilderness because the people of God are in the wilderness. And when Jesus takes up his public ministry, he goes into the wilderness. Because that's where the people are. The people who are lost, the people who are in need. And that's where we've, even we as everyone here who's, who's a Christian, who's, who's a child of God, he sends you out in, in, into your own mission field, not, not just into your family, but into the places where you work and, and talking to you. You know, a lot of you come from, you know, different backgrounds, different occupations, and every area can be a mission field for you. And wherever you go, you will find people who are in the wilderness. You will find people who are hurting. I've done some chaplaincy at a hospital, and, you know, I've seen some people at their lowest points in life, points of desperation. I see Christians who grieve just like anybody else, but they, they have an anchor. They have a hope that sustains them. And I see others who are totally desperate. And everything that they hope for, good health and success and everything is just gone out the window. And they need a lifeline. They're in a spiritual wilderness, whether they recognize it or not. Now, Mark tells us what this guy looks like, this appearance. Now, by any stretch of the imagination, this John the Baptist is one weird-looking dude. You know, even if he submitted a resume to be pastor at this church, he'd probably say, I think we're going to pass on this one. Because he dressed crazy. He was dressed in like camel's hair. You know, camel's hair was probably pulled off bushes and stuff like that and, and woven into, uh, you know, some clothing. And I wonder if that smelled a little bit. You think there was a smell with that camel hair? I don't know. But anyway, everything about John said wilderness, something you would find in the wilderness. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I know some people are getting into uh, eating bugs and stuff like that. I'm not into that yet, but, uh, lo- you know, honey sounds good. But locusts and wild honey, again, where do you find that? In the wilderness. In some ways, when Isaiah talked about this, this messenger who was to come, he was, he was like a, a renewing of the, the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah was also kind of a strange character and The Jewish people were told, there's another Elijah coming. There is a messenger. And Mark is trying to say, John is the one. He's the messenger that comes right before the Messiah. And John the Baptist is a herald. He announces things. You know, like in in the... In ancient Egypt, the Pharaoh would have a herald go before him and say, you know, bow down. Here's the Pharaoh coming. 
Hezekiah would send out a herald, and he said, come to Jerusalem and keep the Passover. And John the Baptist is a herald. He's saying, the king is coming. He's coming. He's a messenger in the wilderness, and he's crying out, saying, there's, there's hope on the horizon. He's a man on a royal mission. But what's his message? The most obvious thing we read about here is that it's a message of repentance. And the people coming to hear him had to come to a place in their lives where they said, we don't, we don't have the answer. We don't know where we're going. We know we need something. And John says, first of all, you need to repent. Now, repentance really is, is a turning and going in the opposite direction. So which direction am I going here now? <laughs> if you're going this way, repentance really means you turn and go the other way. And John is saying to the people, you have to realize you've been going in the wrong direction. And you need to repent and turn toward the one who gives life. Why did John wear clothing like that and eat locusts and wild honey? Everything about him reminded them of the wilderness. Because when the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they were not yet in the promised land. They were on the way, but, but they weren't there yet. And John was now saying to the people who came, you're not there yet, but there's one coming that you need to hear about. Now, you have to realize that uh, Jesus then undergoes the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was different than the baptism we have. So if you see a baptism, it's often it's, it's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And John's baptism focused specifically on repentance. Now, Jesus did not need to repent of his own sins. But he was identifying with sinners. He was saying, I am the Lamb of God. And though you could never make yourself right with the Holy God, I have come. And I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to stand in the place of a sinner. And I'm going to be baptized as your mediator. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus had nothing to repent of, but, but he was going to be the substitute. He was going to stand in our place. He was going to say, I identify with you. You know, I, I'm sure that there are people here in Denver who, who would not enter the door of a church because they think that all the people sitting here, you know, you have it all together. You're pretty righteous. <laughs> You're even here in church on Sunday. You're not just out, you know having a vacation, going out to the mountains. You've got to be a special group of people. You know, and there's no way I belong in that because I'm a sinner. And every person here who, who is a child of God says, no, I, I just come here because I'm being given the bread of life. And I want to share the bread of life with others. And I'm going to tell about the one who is the bread and when I leave this place, hopefully I can be an ambassador for him. But 
it's not me. I, I need Jesus just as much as, as anyone else. And baptism also was used as a, as a form of consecration in the Old Testament. Priests, when they got to be like 30 years old, were, were baptized. They were consecrated. They were anointed for a task. And Jesus is 30 years old, and he's being anointed. He's actually accepting the identity. It's a sign that Jesus is willing to take our place. The text says, in all the country of Judea and Jerusalem, now that may be some hyperbole, it's, but what it's saying is there's a lot of people coming. And they're coming from all different backgrounds. doesn't matter if you're young or old or rich or poor. They're coming to the same recognition that they are in a spiritual wilderness and they need a Savior. And that's why the, the church of Jesus Christ is so critical. Because it is still here to proclaim the message that Jesus is on the throne. And Jesus has equipped his church and Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit. And, and it may take a lot longer than what we imagined, but you can believe that he will keep his word. And so they came. They came to this strange preacher in the, the wilderness. And they were baptized to say, we repent. We need to change. But baptism itself doesn't change us, does it? I mean, even the water of baptism, it, it, it's, it's an outward sign saying that something inward has to happen. The ceremony alone is not sufficient. Something inside has to happen. It doesn't matter who performs the baptism. Jesus has to do a work in our hearts and our lives. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be baptized. It's not enough to do a lot of activities. There must be repentance. A turning around. A recognition of how much we need a Savior. Right in the very depths of your soul and your thinking, you're saying to yourself, something needs to change. And only Jesus can give me this, this new life. And those words are for us too. Because the Bible says in Romans, there is none that is righteous. No, not one. Not even the preachers. Not the most religious people. Not the ones who look so good on the outside. It's an evaluation of our lives. It's saying, I am a sinner. I, I know something about misery. I know something about brokenness. Everyone here, I imagine, has certain areas of your life where you experience the brokenness of life in this world. And as we worship our hearts are being lifted up. Our spirits are being affected. It's not just enough to go out in the wilderness and have a good cry. It's not just enough to have some attendance at church, but there's a change of direction. When I was here years ago, I had a friend who uh, asked what my favorite verse was. And there, yeah, there's a lot of verses one could pick from. And he made me a plaque. It's from 2 Corinthians. It says, 
Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That a newness has begun. And you may not see yourself that way if you're a child of God, but something new has happened. Your life has been changed. You have been given the hope of eternal life. You have been told that you belong to God, that he will never let you go. He'll never forget your name. I think about that when I visit people who have Alzheimer's, and they, you know, they sometimes can't even remember their, their kids' names and stuff, but God knows their name. He never forgets their name. He never forgets where they're at. And the people who came said, I, I can't do it by myself. I, I am a sinner. God, you have to do your business. God, you have to change me from the inside out. In Belfast, Ireland, back in the 1920s, there was a preacher, actually kind of a strange preacher. Maybe all preachers are strange. I don't know. But anyway, he was kind of strange. He was also really blunt, apparently. So he'd uh, point to different people and he'd say, okay, you've been doing this sin. How would you like that on Sunday if you said, okay, I know you stole some candy from the grocery store. I, and, you know, and, and you've been gossiping too much and, and you've been doing this. But people were being convicted. He actually worked in a shipyard. At that time, they said the shipyard employed some 150,000 people. And he would, he would preach to them during their lunch breaks. And he would have Bible studies with them. And the amazing thing was, things that they had borrowed from the company <laughs> began to come back. In fact... So many people responded that way that the shipyard had to rent another building to restore all the stuff. It's true. It actually happened. The newspapers covered it. Thousands of those workers, they, they brought back stuff that they had borrowed because there was a change of heart, a change of their lives. And John is, John is his message is repent and, and believe the gospel is coming. And John did, he focused all of his attention upon Jesus Christ. It was a voice that said, you're sinners, but there's somebody who's coming. And I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Did you know that personal slaves in that time, that was even too low of a job for them. They would not stoop to untie somebody's shoelaces or whatever. And John is saying, I'm lower than that. But Jesus is coming. And you can't believe how great he is. He is so wonderful. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who brings good news. He's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And I imagine there were people who came to look at John the Baptist in the wilderness and you know, if you see a really strange person or a strange occurrence, you know, sometimes people, at least in small towns, they do that, you know. You know, they come to see this latest, you know, activity, this latest person. Maybe they came out to see him originally as this strange preacher, but when they left, I don't think they talked as much about what he looked like, but about his message. A need to repent. And a need to hear that there was someone coming 
who would give them the good news. I suspect that's what they heard. And their lives were being changed. And John said it's, it's really a message about the Holy Spirit. You see, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. He is going to do something inside you. And so when the Spirit is at work, there are times when you're singing a song and you can't say the words because it hits home. There are times when a prayer hits you right between the eyes. There are times when a message touches you and you say, did the pastor know what happened this past week? And we may not at all, but the Spirit does. And sometimes he comforts, and sometimes he encourages, and other times he equips. You know, that, that's what's going to happen on, on Pentecost, actually. The Holy Spirit is, is poured out into the hearts and lives of believers. It's not just a spiritual elite. Not just the elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and youth leaders. <laughs> but every child of God. And when that Holy Spirit is at work in you, you think about Jesus. And your heart is lifted up and you're focused on him. You, know, you really see something about the meekness of John. He's, he's not out there proclaiming his own message. He's the one saying, I, I can't even untie his, the, the sandals of this guy who's coming. But I want you to see the greatness of Jesus Christ. And in every message, hopefully that's what you hear. Not just the preacher, but the message that Jesus Christ is here. And Jesus Christ is calling you by name. And Jesus Christ can change your life. And Jesus Christ can equip you. He is so great. The words we sing, we, we can't even really find words to express how, how wonderful he is. He's in a category all by himself. He, he defies all categorizations. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And John the Baptist says, are you ready for him? And hopefully, in a message, or as we read the Bible, as we have a Bible study, we are confronted with just a glimpse of how great he is. You know, may God give you that glimpse. That leads us finally to this, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, something extraordinary happens in this passage. You know, try to imagine this. It says that Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River, the river that they had to cross to go into the promised land. And, and here's Jesus Christ, who at the very beginning was there at creation, who helped form the waters, is standing in those same waters saying, now... I'm going to represent you. But it says the heavens, the heavens were ripped open. Not sure what that looks like. But the only other time Mark uses that, that rending, that tearing, that, that ripping open, is when Jesus Christ died and the, and the veil in the temple, the, in the Holy of Holies, was split. To say that, this holy God had made a way to him possible. And that's what, what reminds us of the tremendous power of what we're hearing today. You know, sometimes we think going to church is no big deal. 
But if we, if we are hearing the words of the living God, if the, if the Holy Spirit has worked, something tremendous can be happening. It also tells us that, that God is Trinitarian. You know, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. But if you want to think about the theology of the Trinity, you know, here in this passage you have Jesus in the water, you have the voice of the Father speaking, and you have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Now, why did, why did he take the appearance of a dove? Think back to the creation of the world itself. Do you remember what it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters? Almost bird-like. And now the Spirit is there again. And he's saying as significant as the creation of the world itself is, here is a new creation. And the Spirit is right there. And Jesus is there. And the Heavenly Father speaks. And I think what Mark is trying to say is that Jesus is here to recreate life and give us new hope and new purpose. He wants to come to his fallen creation and to say, there is a way to be right with God. And I'm going to make that possible. And I have come to pay the penalty for your sins, sins that you could never pay for yourself, so that you can say, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. And then the voice comes, this is my beloved son. I think Jesus really did need to hear that. Because right after this, he's going to be sent into the wilderness. And he's going to experience the temptation of the evil one. And the evil one is still present here today. And perhaps he's said to you, you're not a very good Christian. How can God love you? You know, what have you done for him lately? You've let him down time and again. And the word of God is saying, Jesus came to answer that. Jesus came to deal with that misery. And right before he goes into the wilderness, he hears this wonderful voice. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased. Now, some of you parents may have recalled sending off your kids to college, or maybe they're getting married, or they're going off maybe through a trial. And maybe you said the words, or certainly you thought them, boy, I really want you to know I love you. You want to give them this word of blessing. And that's what the Father says. And how much did Jesus need that as he went into temptation and later on when he's hanging on the cross and he took our sins upon himself and he had to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He needed to remember that the Father says, I love you, my son. I have sent you into this world to die for sinners. You know, Martin Luther, the reformer, once said, when asked, how, how can a Christian defeat Satan? He said something like this. Satan comes and knocks at the door of your heart, 
And he said, who lives here? And then Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but now Jesus is here. And he slams the door shut. Our substitute, our mediator, our king has won the victory. And it may take time to see it, but the promise is sure. Our future is secure. And you need to hear that. If if you're a child of God, you are beloved. The Father in heaven says, I made you a certain way. I've given you gifts and I've given you opportunities and I've I placed you within this fellowship of believers and I have high hopes for you. I love you. Even when you fail, you're still my child because of what Jesus Christ has done. And at the end, angels minister to Jesus. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel came and ministered to him and think they take care of us as well. We don't see them. We don't see God's hand. And... But our Heavenly Father knows what you're going through. And he knows why you're here. And he cares for you. Jesus is the second Adam. This time doing it right. So that we could be right with God. And that's why Mark, if you read the gospel, if you go on, he goes on from miracle to miracle and action after action. And what he's trying to say is that he wants us to know a whole new world has started for you. Jesus has come. Let's pray. Our Father, these are words that we can scarcely take in. But we thank you for Jesus Christ. And we pray for those here today who might be in a spiritual wilderness. We pray for those who are discouraged. We pray for those who are tired and afraid and lonely. Because you are the answer. You are the way and the truth and the life. And we lift up our praise to you. In Christ's name, amen.